I know I'm a little early, but the next time I see you, it will be the new year. So it was my one chance to get that in. I hope that all of you enjoyed your Christmas with your family and your friends celebrating the birth of our Savior. Aquila, I didn't know what Aquila was going to say when he came out here. So I'm going to try not to repeat what he just said, but man, it was crazy here last weekend. We had over 3,000 people worship in this sanctuary and over on the other side last weekend. I was not going to mention that we didn't, we had too many people in here because I don't know if the fire marshal worships here or not. So if he does, hopefully he'll overlook that. Um, but the one thing I do want to reiterate is that there may be some of you that your first time here was last weekend. And I just want you to know that as a church, we were praying for people to come to Eastside at Christmas. But our prayer wasn't that you would come just for Christmas. Our prayer was that you would come and you would love it and you would come back. So if you are here now a second time, man, that we are thrilled that you are here. Have you ever said or thought, God, if you just tell me what you want me to do, I'll do it. What do you want from me? I'll do it. Most of us in this room have said that or thought that at some point in our lives, right? What if I show you something in scripture that I know God wants you to do? He created you to do this, but it's not gonna be easy and it's not gonna happen quickly. Will you do it? I want you to just take a little bit of time and think about that. Let that marinate and then we're gonna come back to that question. So let's get back to the new year because I'm excited about 2024. For me, for my family, my friends, my relationships, our church, my ministry. Why? Because I think I'm something special. I'm just going to hit a bunch of home runs next year. No, I haven't. I barely thought about myself. I'm excited because of the God I serve and what he can do through even a weak, sinful vessel like me. Because it's not about me. And it's not about you. This weekend is a great time for all of us to reflect. You're going to hear this word a lot tonight, and I'm going to use it two different ways. What I want to talk about right now is I want you to reflect on your life. We're getting ready to start a new year, so here are some questions to reflect on. Are you like most 99% of Americans? You've got this goal for 2024. I want to lose 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, some other multiple pounds, and I want to start working out more and I want to get healthy. Or maybe this is the year that you're going to dedicate more time, quality time with your family. Is this the year that you decide I'm going to get mentally healthy? I'm going to break an addiction or a sin pattern in my life. Why are you motivated to do these things? Why are you motivated to not do these things? Will your life be better if you achieve these goals? Will anybody else's life be better if you achieve these goals? Where have you been? Where are you now? Where are you going? Do you like the trend? And here's a humbling question. Did you even think about asking God what he wants you to do next year or what he wants to do through you? And if you haven't asked that question yet, are you willing to stop right now and say, God, 
I'm yours. What do you want to do through me? Because it's not about you. That's the second time I've said that. I'm less than three minutes in, and I'm not done. You're going to hear it more tonight. This weekend, we wrap up our Christmas series, Christmas with a big U.S. on the end of it. The last four weeks, we've looked at the lives of Mary, John the Baptist, Herod, and the Magi. And what we've learned in these stories is that the things that happened to those people in those stories more than likely are going to happen to us in our lives. So what I want to do is a quick recap before I get to my main point tonight. The first week, we looked at the story of Mary. And what we learned from Mary is that if you're a Christian, if you have received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you have received a kingdom calling. Every one of us that know Christ have a kingdom calling. I don't know what your specific kingdom calling is, but I'm going to show you a calling that every single one of us have, regardless of what your specific kingdom calling is. The second week, we looked at John the Baptist. We specifically looked at the closeness of the relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus. And we taught you the concept of your crowd and your circle. You are not going to make it in your Christian walk without your crowd. That's your church. And even that's not enough. You are going to have to have your circle, your close group of people. The third week, we looked at Herod. This was a horrible story. The third week was a hard week. That's the story of Herod killing all of the little boys under the age of two. And we talked about what it's like when you don't get what you wanted or sometimes when you get what you didn't want. And how will you respond when Jesus doesn't come to your rescue? When you need him, and Jesus goes the opposite direction. He goes to the lake. If you were here, you remember that because that was the story of John the Baptist. As close as they were, Jesus knew that John the Baptist was going to be killed, and he did not go rescue him. And then last week, we looked at the Magi, and we talked about searching for God, that all of us, whether we know this or not, we're searching for God. And because we are, there's opposition. There's an enemy that does not want us to find God. And we'll know that we found him when our life is advancing his instead of his life advancing ours. In other words, we're here to bless him instead of constantly demanding and expecting his blessings. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more tonight. In our last Christmas story Tonight, we put the microscope on the central person of the Christmas story, Jesus himself. And we're going to look at John the Baptist again, but from a, a different perspective. And this Christmas account is very different from what we've read the last four weeks in Matthew and Luke. There's no mention of Mary or Joseph. There's no shepherds. There's no Herod. There's no Magi. There's no manger nativity scene. John, the apostle who wrote this gospel, this is the story he started his gospel with. And he was focused on the deity of Christ, the fact that Jesus was God. God became a man. 
The infinite became finite. The eternal one entered time. The invisible became visible. We're going to be in John chapter 1. I'm going to read this to you, but we're also going to have it up on the screen, verses 1 through 14. As I read, I want you to pay close attention to the words that I have highlighted up on the screen because we're going to talk about that more tonight. So John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist here. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, there's, uh, there's about five sermons worth of material there. I, I'll spare you. I'll... I'll hit a couple of points really quick, and then I'm going to get to my main point. First thing I want to point out to you, did you hear how John started his gospel? It started with the words, in the beginning. Have you heard that before? That sound familiar? Where else have you heard that? Genesis 1, the very first words in your Bible, in the beginning, God created. John starts with in the beginning. It's a mirror. It's a reflection There's that word, reflection, it's reflecting Genesis. And what was the story of Genesis? Creation. So John, once he talks about the word, he immediately starts talking about creation. The next thing that we have to deal with is, what is the word? Well, the better question is, who is the word? Because you see that the word is capitalized. That is a person's name, that is Jesus. That's one of Jesus' names. Now, this is a side note. If you're in a life group, you got a homework assignment, okay? I want somebody in your group to to do some research on the Greek word logos, L-O-G-O-S. That is the Greek word that is used there in the text for the word because that word meant something very important to the Jews And it meant something very important to the Gentiles, but they were two very different things. And it is fascinating what John was saying here. It was profound. And it's it's yet another proof of even though John is the one that wrote this, God gave John these words. This was God breathed. Only God could have come up with this. 
So I'm going to translate. Now that we know that Jesus is the Word, here's how this would read. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. This is a reminder that Jesus is God. He's 100% man, 100% God. I know the math makes no sense. With God, all things are possible. Jesus is not a created being. John informs us that through Jesus, all things that were made, all things were made through him. So when you go back and read Genesis 1, and you read that it says, in the beginning, God created, just realize Jesus wasn't just there with God. God made everything through Jesus when that was going on. And everything in this passage that I just read to you is building up to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The eternal God, the infinite, transcendent, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent, unchanging, eternal God of the universe became a human being, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God in human flesh. Somebody say, wow. Yes, wow. Did you notice how many times that John used the word light in what we just read? Seven times in nine verses, he mentions light. That is a lot of repetition in a very small amount of space. And any time I see repetition in the Bible, that gets my attention. There is something important going on there. I want to show you one more light reference, and it's the same guy that wrote it. This is John, but this is from the book of 1 John. And here's what he said. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Like Father like son. Every time John is mentioning the light, here's what he's saying. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the perfect reflection of God because he is God. The light in Jesus is the same light that is in God. When you see Jesus, you see God. When you hear Jesus, you hear God. When you see Jesus working, you are seeing God working. So I get back to my question I started with. If I show you something that I know God wants you to do, he created you to do this, but it won't be easy and it's gonna take some time, will you do it? This is where the rubber meets the road. What does God want you and I to do? He wants us to reflect him and to reflect his son. And let me explain that, this to you. We tend to think that Jesus came here for one purpose, to save us, to die on the cross, to pay for our sins. That was the main reason that Jesus came. That was not the only reason that he came. Let me, let me just rattle off a couple of these. Jesus showed us what it looks like to live life the way God wants us to live life. He showed us how to fight temptation. Jesus showed us the difference between righteous anger and sinful anger. He showed us how to live as servants instead of putting ourselves in front of or above others because Jesus lived as a servant instead of living as a king. 
He showed us how to be obedient to the commands of God. Jesus showed us how to love others and balance grace and truth. And he did a hundred other things. Jesus talked the talk and he walked the walk. Jesus did what his father wanted him to do. He did the work that he saw his father doing. And the Bible tells us that in John chapter five, Jesus did not come to earth with his own plan. He obediently lived out his father's plan, which includes the last 24 hours of his life. Betrayal, abandonment, abuse, unfairness, torture, ridicule, the nails, and then the worst. He took on and took in yours and my sin. The perfect, unblemished, pure as the driven snow, Lamb of God, Jesus felt sin. But worse, he felt a separation from his father for the one and only time in his life. Jesus left his father's side in heaven for over 30 years. They were physically separated during that time, and that had to be hard for Jesus. But that was nothing compared to the separation that Jesus felt on the cross when he took on your sin in mine, and the Father did this. And Jesus said, why my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he knew it was coming. He knew the ending and he was still willing to come to earth and save us. And that love that Jesus showed us is the same love that is in the Father. Jesus came to introduce us up close and personal to God, his Father, our Father. He perfectly reflected the Father, and now he expects you and me to do the same. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, that same light that is in God and the same light that is in Jesus was imparted into you when you were baptized in the form of the Holy Spirit. Well, what are you supposed to do with that light? Reflect it. Reflect the Father. Show it to others. Here's what Jesus himself said in Matthew 5. You, you is us, believers in Christ. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. there more on that one? There we go. It was coming. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In the first week of this Christmas series, do you remember Dave asking us, did, did God save you just so, did Jesus save you just so you could go to heaven? Is that the only reason? No, that's not even close to why he saved us. That's, yes, he saved us, but it was a lot more for, than just for you to go to heaven. Here's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God chose to use us 
to redeem mankind. Would I have made that choice? Nope. Especially if it was up to me, if he was counting on me. Because we can't do this. I can't save anyone. But he can speak and work through all of us. And his Holy Spirit can change lives for eternity. If, if we will reflect the Father. He saved us so that each of us would hear our kingdom calling in our life. He saved us so that we can be his tools, his ambassadors, his reconcilers, his hands and feet advancing the kingdom of God in the world. Are you willing to do this? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to live a life like Jesus did that reflects the Father? Because it won't be easy. There are gonna be times when it gets hard and you're just gonna pick up your ball and go home. Let's go back to when you were in the baptistry, giving your life to Christ, making a vow to devote your life to Christ. Are you honoring that vow today? Are you living out that vow right now? Are you still spiritually in the game, on the field, in the heat of battle? Or are you a toe in the water, neither hot nor cold Christian, sitting in the top row of the bleachers of the stadium as far away from the field as you can get, staring at your phone? All of us that are believers in Christ fall somewhere in between those two extremes. God wants you to be on fire for him. That's when we best reflect him. When you walked out of the baptistry, you walked into your calling. A lot of people think the baptistry, well, that's the end. I got my fire insurance. I'm not going to go to hell. Folks, that's the beginning of the story. That's the first chapter of your story. That's the first page. It's the first step of a marathon. We keep bringing up, we've done this multiple weekends now, the parable of the soils comes up. It's a warning to all of us Christians that even though today I may believe and I may be coming to church and I may be on fire for God, what we find out in that parable is that two of the three people end up leaving. And why do they leave? Because life gets hard and life gets busy. Every Monday morning as a staff, we pray for all of you. We pray for our church, our family. We spend a significant amount of our prayer time praying for those of you that aren't here anymore. What do I mean? People that we've not seen in weeks, in months, you used to be here and it breaks our hearts. We feel failure because we helped introduce you to Jesus, but we lost you somewhere along the way. And the truth of the matter is, you're not gonna be able to reflect the Father. You're not gonna grow in your faith if you don't come back home. I wanna show you two ideas, two mindsets that you're gonna have to have if you're gonna stay in the game and reflect the Father. And the first one is this, you gotta grow up. We have to grow up. As I've already said, your spiritual journey, the journey of becoming a disciple 
who reflects the Father, it began in the baptistry. That is like when you were spiritually born. God saved you through Jesus so that you would grow up. Listen to what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Here's what I'm reading into what Paul's saying. I want you to grow up. I want you to be able to eat solid food, but you've not grown up. I can't feed you that yet. To go further, the writer of Hebrews, who many think is Paul, wrote this in Hebrews 5. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So just like babies move from formula, milk, to baby food, and then on to solid food, we were created When we come to Christ, we start off with spiritual milk and we have to move to solid food. Meat and potatoes, chicken wings, the hottest ones. You didn't know it was in your Bible, did you? Well, it's in the NIV, the Neil International Version or the Neil Idiot Version, one of those. It's in there. So you may be asking the question, how do I do this? How do I get to where I'm spiritually mature and I'm eating solid food? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's not what I'm preaching about tonight, but I would have wanted this answer. So I'm gonna give you one minute, six things that you can be doing to mature. So let's look at these really quick. Worship with your crowd, your church, every week, consistently. Not when you feel like it, not when it's convenient, all the time, be here. Spend meaningful time in God's word daily. Spend meaningful time in prayer with God daily. You're picking up a theme here. You gotta be consistent. Serve God. So whether you knew this or not, you may not be called to be a pastor. You may not work on a church staff. I was a minister before I ever started working here, and so are you, whether you know that or not. If you know Christ, you are a minister of reconciliation. So whether you ever work on a church staff, God expects you to go out and work serve him. Grow with others. Okay, so this gets back to you have to have your crowd, you got to be in church, but you also have to have your circle. Folks, if you are not in a small group, you need to be in a small group. Yes, this is self-serving. I'm the discipleship pastor and I manage groups, but I'm telling you, you you're not going to grow and you're not going to stay in the game unless you get in a group. So if you're not in one, we need to talk. The last point, as you're growing, you then should make other disciples. You're gonna reproduce, you're gonna make other disciples. So I wanna go back to your goals for 2024. While you're losing that 10, 20, 30 pounds and working out, you think you could fit one or some or all of those into your goals for next year? What are your priorities? The other mindset that you're going to have to have to reflect the Father and stay in the game, we actually learned it last week when we were talking about the Magi. It's not about you. I've mentioned that a couple of times tonight. It is not about you. It is about Him. 
Always has been, always will be. There are a whole lot of things that are for us. Salvation, an abundant life here on earth through Christ. That's for us, but that doesn't mean it's about us. It's about him. Somebody has to be thinking this, or you thought it earlier. Yeah, Jesus reflected the Father. He's God. I'm not. You're right, but just realize that same light that is in the Father and in Jesus is in us in the form of the Holy Spirit. And I want to show you from this reading the human being who best reflected the Father, because we've already gotten this answer tonight. It's John the Baptist. So let's reread this section. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And here's what Jesus himself said about John the Baptist. You ever talk, you talk about the greatest compliment that you could ever get. This is Jesus talking about John the Baptist. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. How would you like Jesus to say that about you? Why did he say that? What made John so great? Because it wasn't about John. It wasn't about him. He knew that. He lived that. He accepted that. His life was all about pointing everyone to the light, to Jesus. He lived his life so well. Did you catch this? The scripture had to remind us that he wasn't the light because he looked like he was the light. And if there's any doubt at all that John got it, that it wasn't about him, that it was all about Jesus, I wanna show you one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, John 3.30. And this is John the Baptist talking about Jesus. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. So tell me if this is not how most of us live our lives or think of our lives. If, if we're honest, I want you to be honest here. We think that Netflix is producing our life story in a multi-season series that is named after us. Neil, Jennifer, Mark, Sandy. We, we think this story, this series is all about us. We are the star of the show. And everybody else, including God and including Jesus, are just supporting actors and actresses. In other words, we are the sun. Everybody and everything revolves around us. Here's the truth. If we truly are living a Netflix series, the name of that story is God or love and there's three main characters. They're the only ones that really matter in this story. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You and I, even if we live 100 years on this planet, we show up for one episode of that story for about 10 seconds. If you blink, you wouldn't even see us. When they ran the credits at the end of the episode, your name didn't even appear. We don't like that story. We don't like that at all, because it's not about us. And if you want to live your life as the star of the show, God will let you. 
I see people living that way every day. Unfortunately, I'm one of them sometimes. But if you are willing to become less so that he can become more, he will do things through you that will make you feel like the star of the show, even though you don't do it. He's doing it. But that only happens if you become less and reflect the Father. When you become less, you become a mirror. You become like a shiny piece of metal or silver that's out in the sunlight. When you have to be the star of the show, you're not gonna reflect anything. Instead of reflecting light, all you're gonna do is absorb it. You're gonna hog it. There's no way anything's gonna reflect. I wanna wrap this up with a story that I heard in my Sunday school class 25 years ago. I've changed the story just a little bit, but the heart of the story is pretty much the same. And it's all about the process of becoming a disciple so that you can reflect the Father. To grow up and to get rid of this mindset that it's all about me, God has to purify us. He has to prune us. He has to discipline us. It is not easy. It is not fun. It takes a long time. In fact, it's going to take the rest of your lives. It's going to take the rest of my life. God is still going to be working on me when I take my last breath. But this is how God makes us more reflective of him. A grandfather is sitting at the dinner table with his grandson. We'll just name him Tom. Tom's in his early 20s, and he has had a really rough year. Just problem, problem, trouble, just one thing after another. And the problems have been enough that Tom is now to a point where now he's doubting his faith. Why is this stuff happening? Am I being punished? Am I being attacked by the enemy? Is this Satan doing this? Is, is this just the result of me living in a falling, cursed world? Or maybe God just doesn't care. So the grandfather says to Tom, I want you to go to the factory tomorrow morning and see my buddy. You know who I'm talking about? And Tom said, yeah. He said, he knows you're coming. All I want you to do is just watch what he does and listen to what he tells you. Tom loves his grandpa, but he, he, here's his response. I'll go. I don't know what in the world I'm gonna learn about God watching somebody run a furnace in a factory. And grandfather just said, just trust me, okay? All right. So Tom shows up the next morning, 8.30 sharp, and his grandpa's friend is there at the door to meet Tom. They have some small talk for about 15 minutes. And then this guy who is a silversmith, and he's been doing this job for years. That is his furnace that he's been at for years. He takes Tom over. Tom can already feel the heat coming off of this furnace. He go, the silversmith goes over and he grabs a pair of tongs that are probably this long. And he grabs a big chunk of what is silver, but it doesn't really look like silver right now. It's kind of ugly looking. And he makes eye contact with Tom one more time. And this is important because he didn't look at Tom the rest of the story, okay? So he picks up that chunk of silver 
He says something to Tom, and then he turns his head and he puts that chunk of silver into the fire. And so Tom is now talking at the back of this guy's head. And Tom asked him the question, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm refining the silver. I'm burning the impurities out of it. That stuff that you see coming out is called dross. Well, Tom then asked, well, how did the dross get there? And the, the silversmith kind of chuckled and he said, that dross is naturally in there. And the only way it can come out is through immense heat. It has to be purified. So Tom just keeps watching. He's holding it in this one place. And the guy's not moving his head. He's just staring at that piece of silver. And so Tom says, do you have to watch that the whole time and hold it in that one spot? And the silversmith said, yeah, if it gets too hot, it's gonna melt and it'll be ruined. And if I don't hold it in the hottest spot, it won't get hot enough to burn that dross out of the silver so that it can be removed. Well, Tom just stares at this for a, a minute, trying to figure out what exactly is going on here. And then he asked his last question. He said, well, how do you know that the silver is refined? When, when is it done? And the silversmith never turned around, but he could tell the silversmith was smiling and he said, oh, it's easy. It's when I see my image reflected in it. When the silversmith said that, all of the air came out of Tom. It was like he'd been punched in the gut. A light bulb went off and tears started running down his cheeks because he realized now why his grandfather had sent him to the factory to talk to that guy. He understood that this was an illustration of what he'd been going through in his life for the last year, over and over and over. God was the silversmith. He was that hunk of silver in the heat of that furnace with all that ugly dross, but so much beauty and reflectivity underneath. It just had to be burned off. Tom got to see how much attention that silversmith paid to that silver because he never took his eyes off of it. He was so careful, yet he kept that silver in the hottest part of the fire until just the right moment. Maybe God had been doing the same thing to him, to Tom, in the midst of all of his trials, burning that dross off, even though God felt like he was thousands of miles away. When Tom saw the silversmith see his own image in the silver, it made him wonder, did God see his image in me when I was in that furnace. How about you? Does God see his image in you in the good times and the bad? Does he see his image in you when he feels like he's a thousand miles away? Does he see his image in you when he doesn't come to your rescue and he goes the opposite direction and he goes to the lake? Does he see his image in you when he has you in the, in the furnace and he's purifying you so that you can better reflect your father. We ended our Christmas service last weekend singing, Oh, Holy Night. If you were here, you know it was wonderful. We started in the dark and then we flipped our candles on 
and the room came alive, life. As that was going on, and I was here on Thursday night, first service, I started thinking, what is God thinking about this as he's looking down on this? Now, obviously, I don't know what God was thinking, but here's what I think he was thinking. I think as he looked down, he did not even see our candles because there was a light brighter in this room than any candle. It's what he put in you. We were reflecting the Father. He saw himself. He saw that light coming out of us. And I have no idea who God was talking to in heaven, but if somebody was next to him, I think he probably said, that's my kids. They look just like me. And I can't think of anything better for them to do other than to take that light outside of these walls into the darkness to a world that I so desperately want to save. Be the light. Reflect the Father. Lord, this sermon was tough. Living this life is tough. Being called to be your disciple. We fall so short of the example that you gave us in the Bible. But Lord, we also know that you are inside of us. I'm asking you for each one of us that you would help us to grow up and help us to get that mindset that as, as much as you've blessed us, Lord, that it is all about you. You've given us so much. Help us to take the light that you've given us outside of these walls and share it with everyone. Lord, we thank you that you would use us in this way. We love you and we give you all praise and thanks. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.